0: Hey everyone, Eric here. I'm excited to announce our newest show on investing at Turpentine, Sorcery by Molly O'Shea. Sorcery brings the conversations investors and founders have behind closed doors to light. Past episodes have featured Alex Kolitsich of AVC, Xander Oltman of Commodity Capital, and David Weisberg of 10X Capital, whom you might know from another Turpentine show. This is the show for investors by investors. We dive deep into topics like the significance of LPGP dynamics, Portfolio construction, if SaaS is really dead, AI theses and predictions, and more. Check it out by searching Sorcery on any podcast platform today.
1: But the AI people are, of course, crazy. Um, I mean, I... I You mentioned somebody sketching out how this is going to work. Dude, how the fuck is the AI going to kill me? My fucking AirPods don't even reliably stay connected to this machine instead of my phone. Like, call me when that actually gets solved, and then I'll believe it. These people are living in this virtualized world in which they think, like, blogging and Twitter is real, and that if, like, your Twitter account goes down, you physically die or some shit. We used to joke that way at Facebook because we were such, like, online degens. But give me a break. I mean, go out and, like try to fix a car engine or try to build something in like real space you know the the murder bots aren't coming right and more broadly the rationalist movement which strikes me it's not rational at all it's actually completely irrational if anything it's religious thinking that tends to dominate them not only that tyler cohen ganged up on scholar alexander basically thrashed tyler cohen tyler cohen is not an ai doomer he's more of a ai you know, it could be positive. Let's see where things go before we even jump in with regulation, which I think is very reasonable and is mostly my view. Scott Alexander jumps in. To begin with, he starts quoting, you know, the entire blogosphere of rationalism, which is all these little coded words and experiments that's been running since forever. It sounds like, you know, on Berkeley, there used to be these weird little hippies that would pass out these little pamphlets from whatever dumb little cult they're in. And that's what these things read like. Oh, you 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 didn't read the Rocco's Basilisk mugger experiment? Oh, well, my God, you fool. It's like, Give me a fucking break, dude. And then he's got like Bayes Law at the bottom of his thing. No, this is truth. Everything else is commentary. Oh yeah, motherfucker. Give me the Bayes Law take on Israel-Palestine. Give me the Bayes Law take on what it means to be a good father. Give me the Bayes Law take on like, what is truth and meaning in life? It is such a narrow, limited little worldview. And they're sitting there cooking up Terminator scenarios because none of them would even know how to change the oil filter on a car. Like, I don't know. It just The whole thing is just totally dumb to me. And like, it's hard for me to take it seriously.
0: Hey everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from our AI and investing cluster of podcasts, to shows that drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, investors, and influencers, like Econ 102 with Noah Smith. We're launching new shows every week and we're looking for industry-leading sponsors. If you think that might be you and your company, email me at ericaterpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at terpentine.co. And let's partner together. Before we dive into a moment of Zen, I wanna tell you about my new interview show, Upstream. Upstream is where I go deeper with some of the world's most interesting thinkers to map the constellation of ideas that matter. On the first season of Upstream, you'll hear from Mark Andreessen, David Sachs, Balaji, Ezra Klein, Joe Lonsdale, and more. Make sure to subscribe and check out the first episode with
2: Mark Andreessen. The link is in the description. I'm also getting older and I'm not trying to like have another weird side quest at this point, I'm looking
3: for the place that I'm going to be like committed to for a while. I mean, for, for me that for you, that sounds like SF that love, hate relationship. Uh.
2: When I also like, I mean, I love us like even, even like the bad stuff about it. I'm like, uh but it never has driven. Like people sometimes every now and then someone will say, Oh, you hate San Francisco or something. And I'm like, Like, can you find the tweet or like what are you talking about like it's never never has that happened i absolutely love it it's like i hate the politicians i hate the drug addicts i hate the fucking drug dealers like but that's not the same thing everyone knows that i even loved like the bullshit like like crazy like looney tune burning man lefties like even that i'm like that's like a an exciting kind of leftism to me um i don't think it's even as boring as what you get in other parts of the country. And it's actually worse in places like in like Minneapolis or something where they really have to prove their, their like elitist credibility because they're not in a coastal city. I feel like they're way more unhinged than they are in, uh, in places like San Francisco. Hmm. I see you guys thinking through it, but trust me. Give it a shot. Go, go to one of those places and go to any bar and it's going to be like, it'll be like the, it's like the, it's the, the version of the gay pride parade. That's actually like gang colors. It's like the, the triangle with like the pink shit and like the black in it. Like it's that everywhere that you look in their bars.
3: Well, it, it's actually kind of like uh, California Republicans, right? Cause they just lose so badly. It like it, it purifies or I guess purified is probably the wrong word, but like it concentrates the just like the losing to this group of people that all they do are purity tests for for their version of losing. And it's like, you're just never going to actually appeal to anyone because now you're trying to show how Republican you are by living in California. (laughs) Yeah. Man, I wonder what's going to happen to California.
2: I think it'll be fine.
3: I I still think that the Tim Draper split the state up. Is is the most interesting intellectual like experiment to think through of like well they can't okay,
2: do that so, they lose you, senate
3: seats no democrat will ever allow that
2: you you would gain senate seats no because the, I think if, if you split up in like five states like they said you're going to get six republican senators like a straight of the, everything that's not San Francisco or Los Angeles is
3: red and everybody knows that okay so so split it uh six states three blue three red so so both sides get additional but then you can make the argument that Californians given that 10 percent of the country lives in California and and you should potentially even say the same for, for Texas you're going to get actual more representation at the Senate level for for your pot of you know however many million people if you split it up yeah I just think Cuba should be a state Oh, man, we, we, we got to save this for Antonio. As, and I think uh, Greenland should be a state, and then I'll be happy. Then I'll be willing to talk
2: about other things, like more California states. D.C., I'll never be okay talking about. It. It's a fucking city inside of another state. It makes no sense. But, like, yeah, I'd take Cuba. Cuba could be two states. What about Puerto Rico?
3: No. So you just keep all the, the people who are optimizing for taxes there? and
2: My version of Puerto there. Rico is, like, they don't want to be a state they already have everything that's good to be like, like they could be a state if they want to be a state, they don't want to be a state. They shouldn't have to be a state, but Cuba should have to be a state. That's ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That good opener. I think um, going yeah. back to SF. You said good opener where this is going in the podcast.
0: <laughs> uh, I was saying when, uh, when Antonio comes in, Ah. Uh, unless
3: you don't want me to talk about that. No, yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about whatever. <laughs> okay, cool. I think as it goes for SF though, uh, I don't know. You, you spent a lot of time thinking about this, Mike, but it just feels like the, the actual governance structure of the city is just, you can't solve that. It's like the soups have all the power. And I think the districts are somewhat gerrymandered in the sense that like they're designed so that they're like, so easy. Know. No, it's easy. It's just, no one has ever tried it at all before. The fact that the soups have all the real, power. real communism hasn't been tried
2: no, it's no. I'm saying like no one is no te- no one smart has been like we should like care about local politics before. It's like it's a rare thing. This is like a new thing that you have tech money as well as like tech time, which was the real that was the real thing that was 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 not there was like actual smart people sitting down and being like, Ugh. it's like when you're trying to learn the rules of a of a board game. And the idea of it is extremely daunting. And you're like, I don't want to learn like six pages of fucking rules for some weird game. But then once you do it, it's fun. And you have to get over that hump. And they have gotten over like a handful of really smart people have gotten over it and are now like, okay, we're running ads. We're doing voting guides. We're like making sure that like we're killing it on SEO. And our voting guide is the top of the list. You know, We're doing targeted like ad campaigns and everything else and they're actually really trying. And so I feel like that now, the fact that there are only 11 supervisors is a really good thing because that means that all you need are, you know, 6 of those people, 6 elections and you control a lot of what happens in San Francisco. You can actually do a lot. The the, the problem up until now is like, yeah, they they have so much power, but but if you actually can flip some of those seats, then yeah, you have so much power. Have they flipped them a seat yet? Yeah, they got a guy, uh they, they just got a uh, Joel and Guardia or whatever, which is like completely he just do you know, he's playing the game as he has to, but he's the mo- he's completely in on, on their side. Um and this is the first I thought the election was gonna be a complete landslide against them because the last two elections were special elections, and I just assumed that like yeah, like all the angry people got up and no actual person in the city's gonna vote for something reasonable. And then that wasn't the case. With a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of just strategy you can get people to care about the same things that you
3: care about. And I think up until now, just people have thought it was a lost cause, but it's really not. So so your prediction over the next two or four years, you could actually see the the, moderate. I think
2: it will continue to moderate. And I think that once it flips to moderate, it becomes the best city in the country.
1: So are we still trying to convince Mike to run for office in San Francisco? But for some reason, I think our group literally started with that theme. We've been doing this for yeah. years, Talana. We've been trying to get you to run for I don't know how long. Is it finally happening?
2: But I don't live there, so I I just I mean I moved away about a year ago, and I I'm not I'm not gonna if I were to go back and I think I probably will. I really love the city, but if that happens, then yeah, I'm I'm committed and whatnot right now. I really am focused on pirate wires and building a media company and you can't do, I feel like 2021 for me, was the year of I'm going to do everything. I'm going to live in San Francisco and Miami. I'm going to have a relationship. I'm going to have three jobs. I was working at founders fund full time. I was doing pirate wires and I was heavily involved in local politics and I thought I was going to run for something. Um, And it just turns out you can't do any of like, you you can do one thing. You can do two things. You can have a relationship and a a company maybe like, and it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to have both. So I I, like, those are the two that I picked and, and like those two, the relationship took me to Miami and that's what I have to focus on right now. And I'm happy to do that. Um, But yeah, in the future, I'll, I'll be more open to it. And I do think there's a responsibility for everybody who talks a lot about this shit. Like everybody who talks a lot about local politics, I believe has, a responsibility to get more involved like you're you kind of know that you're the like there's no one else you know you're sitting here at one point you're you're looking around like mad about why no one's involved in local politics and you have to kind of think like okay well someone's gonna have to do this no one wants to do this bullshit job but someone has to do this um again me it's not right the second just because of you know I don't live there but if I were to move back any place that I like root down I'm gonna care about local politics
0: This sounds like the biggest white pill on SF politics that we that I've heard in the last few years from from this group. So, well, I like, was
2: early to the I was early to the anti-SF story. I've got to be early to the comeback.
3: Yes, exactly. Wait for for the listeners. I mean, you have a pretty famous clubhouse. Do you, do you even want to relive that right now or no? The Chessa Clubhouse. Yeah, maybe maybe share what happened. That oh becomes, man, you becoming a media tycoon and 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 billionaire. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah um well i don't know how do we want to how do we want to tell the story of the club i mean I, I guess like back then and this is like fully like the podcast is happening now right yes we're recording okay what's up antonio thank you guys for having me
1: it's, it's <laughs> a pleasure we go straight into it a moment is thank, thanks for coming. I, I was just gonna say I, I somehow missed the white t-shirt memo sorry eric i didn't realize that was supposed to, what's supposed to be happening here between romero and solana <laughs> Is is Haynes our corporate sponsor now? And I missed I missed the email. Sorry.
3: <laughs> it's actually a waffle shirt, Antonio. Please okay, uh, get right. it correctly.
1: So, Solana, you, I don't know if you've watched our show, but I, we always have to troll Romero for his like fancy dress, and uh, he, he's just he he embodies. Anyhow, it's just it's, it's anyhow. I'll, I'll just get up there. Yeah.
3: All of you, killing right.
1: it. Let, let's get back to uh, Solana Tandler, twenty twenty
3: four. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Antonio. We have to revisit. Uh, we, we have some strong opinions on whether Cuba should be a state. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, Wait. We'll get to, we'll get to that after okay. after we talk Let's about it. What's Cuban statehood in a bit? And it,
0: sh- yeah. it should be. So, so um, the, tell, tell the origin story cuz we, we kind of came up together in the last four I mean, five, the local, five years. I
2: I think the whole local politics story is just interesting across the board. I think that the like the high level problem facing America is just local politics and it's not just San Francisco, it's every single city in the country is bad at this there's not a city in the country that does not have some like deranged board of education person who is you know attacking the schools there's not a single um there's not a single like whatever the version of whatever the legislative branch of the city is if it's like we have a board of supervisors a lot of people have like a city hall like there's no version of that in any city where there's not a person who's like we need to be doing like you know, reparations or something rather than talking about like how to be better, like handle the trash or whatever it is. um, That's like an endemic problem. And it's because local politics is not sexy and it doesn't pay well. And it's not really in most of these places, a stepping stone to anything other than like your local power. And it just attracts like the worst people alive and anyone smart wants to go and do something that's going to make money. So that's just like, that's the the perennial problem. And for me, I kind of had felt that way throughout 2018, 19, like, man, this city is so fucked. And, and it's like the people on the border are so dumb, but I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't until the summer of 2020 when it suddenly was like, okay, this was already really bad. I mean, the shit famously, the shit problem in San Francisco was already a huge deal. And I'd already been talking about it, but like now suddenly if your local government is incompetent in the middle of an actual crisis, it matters. And, th- and I was, I guess, I don't know if it was, I don't know what color of the pill was, but I had, I, there was a pill was taken at that point and I was extremely radicalized. I was like, these people need to go. And the first step to that is getting its awareness and not just like, oh, awareness of the issues that I care about. I mean, straight up, if you talked to the average person living in San Francisco, they didn't know what the board of supervisors was. Like they didn't know Like, let alone how many were on it and what the balance between that and the mayor was. Like, They didn't know the actual basics because they didn't care. So many people in San Francisco are kind of transient. They're passing through. And I thought, okay, I'm talking about this stuff a lot online. Michelle Tandler at the time was talking about this, and she still is, talking about the stuff a lot online. And at that point, there was really nobody else. There there just wasn't. There were no other big voices in tech who were like, I'm going to really care about local politics. In fact, I remember thinking it was kind of weird. I... I thought like, I don't know, are are people going to get, first of all, are they going to get mad at me for like picking on these people? Uh, Like, is it going to be, you know, am I going to be accused of racism somehow? Probably. And inevitably, yes, is the answer to that question. Um, It was like, are tech people going to think this is stupid, that I'm just like focusing on something really dumb, but that the opposite happened. What happened was everyone was like, yes, this is, this is crazy. I've noticed that too. And we developed, like, we got to kind of, bigger audience than I think either of us even realized on these issues. And so we hosted a chat. I thought it was a very basic chat. I thought it was like, literally, I was like, yeah, we're going to get people together and tell them how many supervisors are on the board and how like laws are passed in San Francisco. I think Michelle, and I wish that she was here on this podcast. You can go and fact check with her later, but I'm pretty sure that she had a sense of what was actually going to happen. I think that she had spoken with Chessa, which I didn't realize, and he showed up in the chat um, Chesa Bowden, our ex district attorney, or, or est- our ex district attorney. He showed up. He came up, and um, I mean, I had been drinking before. I had just had dinner. I had, <laughs> I was like three drinks in. I had another drink with me. I, w- I was like, oh, it's like a fun clubhouse. I had had. We've been. We were all in the year of clubhouse at that point. Like, that's what clubhouses were. They were like these like really relaxed things. You couldn't really see how many thousands of people were listening, and you just like got shit faced with your friends and talked about bullshit. And now suddenly, like. The DA was in the chat, and he was just like, "No, I never worked for Hugo Chavez." And I'm like, uh, "Well, you d- you definitely did." And I'm like, googling it. I'm like, I'm looking at like all these citations, and he's like, "Nope." And that was my first experience with a politician, just like straight up lying to my face. Had no idea how to handle it. Didn't know like like I, that's just yeah. I was it was my first time. I I uh, I was used to dealing with journalists who. I mean, I love to hate on journalists, but I think there's, we have a lot in common. Like I kind of am, a, I am a journalist. Like I'm just, we just disagree. I'm like, a, I'm like the, the evil version of them is probably how they see it. But like, we're the same. We have the same skill sets. We care about the same things, the same cultural sensibilities, the same belief that we're on the side of truth. And, and so that means there's like a commitment to the truth. And if you call out a journalist for getting something wrong, they really care about that. And they're, most of them are willing to kind of talk to you and want to get to the bottom of things. Politicians are just not like that. It's a whole other thing. And he's a politician. Um, And that's it. That was the, that was the huge chat that I guess everybody listened to and had a really serious opinion about. And I think it got a lot of people excited about politics. A lot of people heard that chat when they were like, we got to do something like this guy is a complete fucking sociopath and, um, and they did. And now he's gone. Bye. <laughs> but he might be coming back. <laughs> He'll come back. He's not going anywhere. The left loves him. He's, I mean, he's royalty, right? His parents were terrorists. It's a big deal for them. <laughs> <laughs> T- today, Mike, you have 220,000
0: Twitter followers. I feel like when our group chat started in 2019, you maybe had like 10,000 or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, you were early in local politics and and that you were contrarian and right. And I think you were also early on just fighting back to the media. Like we don't have to just sit here and take it or or apologize. What do you think were the the inflection points on the the tech versus media sort of fight and how the, the power dynamic shifted a bit? Was it Taylor and Clubhouse? Was it something
2: else? It was earlier. I think it was like 2017. I think 2017, at the height of Me Too... I think a lot of people, not just in tech but in America, are kind of looking around and taught like quietly to their friends, not online at all, and they're like, "This things seem out of control on this sort of authoritarian left stuff." And I mean, 2020 was just it kind of jumped back up. It was like the summer of 2020 was way worse than even we ever could have seen coming. But like before that, I think 2017 was kind of kind of the height of that, and that was the that was like things were bad enough that I. I just felt the need to start speaking a little more honestly. I'd always been really scared that if I spoke super honestly publicly, then I would forever be seen through a political lens. And if that were the case, then they would affect my fiction. I was a fiction writer still at the time. That was my ambition. I was going to be, you know, writing young adult novels about science fiction and teenagers with superpowers. I love that kind of stuff. That's what I, all I wanted to be. And I I didn't want to be seen as like, I just wanted people to like my work and, um, and so I kept it away for a while. And then 2017 was my breaking point. I started speaking more openly, still not as openly as I do now. It was like still pretty Straussian, but I was like hinting at a lot of stuff. I was, I think a lot of people who can't speak their mind, learn how to be funny. It's like a way to calm people down and also like convey ideas in a, a slightly less direct way. And, and there was a lot of that happening. And, uh, and then what, what I think really started happening, that was for me personally, but I think the broader story for everybody in tech is we all started joining group chats with each other. And obviously we all had a group chat together, but I think there was a lot of this in tech all throughout tech. And you know, it's a bunch of people gassing each other up. They're like, look at this fucking asshole who said this crazy thing. Like someone's got to say something back to them. And I was always like, I'll say something. I love to say something. Um, But little by little, once you have a few more voices out there saying something and you're all in your group chats and you're all like, no, 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 like they're the crazy ones. We're not the crazy ones. It just naturally, I think, pushed people forward. And the more people that pushed back, I think it's like the, the easier it became to push back. This happened in local politics as well. Once you had a few loud voices in tech saying something, it was like, a direct line to 10 or 20. And once you have that, then that's a cultural shift. It's like now the culture of tech is anti the San Francisco government. It, and that is true. That is just like to be in tech in smart it is to think like, hey, we really have to do something about local politics. That's like a, a thing. That's like a belief associated with tech now. Um, and I think that's a similar thing that we've seen with uh, with the media and in tech press and in politics to some extent. Like there's a, a reach for... Nuance and moderation and the ability to express ideas or the permission to express ideas like those are all values I think um associated to a certain extent with tech culture now because people like us were all talking a lot and I think it, it started in 2017, just the breaking point and then it was group chats and now here we are and I, I think culture's i mean totally different in in a, I think a much more healthy way what
0: well put what makes Taylor Loren such an inspiration to you? I love her.
1: I mean, I don't, do you guys want to talk? I I don't want to like, I could talk for days. (laughs) I I do have a question. I do have a follow up question, Mike. So just, uh, by the way, Eric, you should have invoked the anti cancellation shields before and noted that everyone on the show is Latinx on the show. (laughs) Let's just put that out there. So we've got like at least a full house on the intersectionality poker game. So, um, we're, we're, we're we're incredibly diverse. Um, yeah. So one question, Mike, I mean, we were discussing this earlier, actually. Um, there's something unique about tech, right? Like SF is undoubtedly S, you know, tech's hub. And if you look at how Wall Street gets treated in New York or the oil industry gets treated in Houston or how real estate gets treated in Miami, like the, the main game in town doesn't get kicked around like some second-class citizen, which doesn't necessarily mean it has to rule the roost, but it's in like partnership with civil society to make things better for everybody, right? And there's some sort of dialectic there. And you don't see that in San Francisco. And I think one of my theories about it is that there's something... So there's something about tech and tech founders that live in a particularly in like software tech that lives in this virtualized world that doesn't talk to, you know, people who don't work in tech, people, you know, activist committees, zoning committees, local politics, like somehow those people are in the world and bend the world to their will in a way that tech founders would rather just avoid and not deal with. And I mean, I mean, to be clear, the, the fault is SFs apps are being kind of pathological, but I, I just, I think it, it is a pas a deux with like the tech side of things and that somehow that could only, that state of affairs could only exist in a tech industry that's largely indifferent.
2: I agree. So I, 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 I think the onus is on tech. Um, I don't know that it's, so I don't know, like are a lot of like banker bros out there talking to the working folk of New York city? I don't think so. I, I think it's more, um, a real estate for sure. In Florida, I, I can see that. But I think that the thing about tech is like it attracts a or has historically attracted a kind of nerdier person. I think it's like a different kind of guy specifically that's attracted to tech or has been until very recently. And it he tends to be someone who's like really into his weird little world and like tinkering and learning and studying. And he's not trying to tell other people how to live. It's not like a super, it doesn't attract a lot of jocks. And I think that that is kind of what you need to take over a city It's like you have to have a bunch of people who are like actually i don't care that you're accusing me of taking over the city i am like we're doing it it's ours now and and we're going to run this town we're saying we need actual tech bros yes (laughs) yes that's a great (laughs) yes exactly yeah i think you like that's the number one thing that we need is like is people who are not apologetic and are like we're producing a lot of value and Crime's not legal anymore. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> over. Next question. But that's what I think. I think, I I do think tech, I agree tech is different. I agree that the onus is on tech. Not, I mean, we both agree the city's really insane, but you kind of can't blame it for for us not doing anything for the last 20 years. Um, but I think it's
3: more a weird cultural thing about who tech tends to attract. I, I think it's a lack of civic like laundering and engagement, right? Like people make all these fortunes and then they do kind of EA bullshit where they're like, oh, well, uh, instead of taking the money that I got from this, you know, radical new company that, you know, generated all this money and building an opera house or something that's like a public good that everyone can be like, oh, these tech people are really nice. Like they're making the city nicer. They go off and they're either doing like bed nets in Africa, or it's like, I'm going to start an institute to, to prolong like uh, longevity and do all this kind of fringe research. And it's also, so, so it's like, why, why would I give a shit about these people? Like, you know, if, if, you're, if you make a bunch of money and, and build a bunch of libraries, like n- now I'm probably gonna have a more positive opinion of you. I think it's also,
2: the, it is the lack of civic duty, but because they don't feel like San Francisco is their home, even to a certain extent, or their long-term home, certainly not. So it's like this it's a vicious cycle um, where because the housing costs are so insane and the schools are so bad and it's like such a kind of, it's kind of hard or it has been historically to live in San Francisco. You think about it as like, well, I probably can't raise a family here. So that just turns you off to a certain, like, you're like, all right, well, why would I care about local politics if I'm not going to be here in five years? And that's, Unfortunate, but I think it's changing, and I think it's changing because it's it's like across the country, there's a certain sort of. I feel maybe it's just it's just a vibe. It's a it's a vibe that I I'm picking up on, and maybe it's totally I'm totally wrong, but I think that people care more about local politics right now, and I hope they do because as we learned in COVID, it's it's like it doesn't matter who's in the White House, it matters who's the asshole running your you know neighborhood or representing your neighborhood at, at the board of supervisors.
0: Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. Moment of Zen is brought to you by Riverside, the platform Dan, Antonio, and I use to record all of our podcast episodes with remote guests. Riverside captures exceptional audio and video quality, makes it incredibly easy for us to record conversations with multiple guests and then edit and publish within minutes. If you're hosting a podcast or often getting interviewed, use our code ZEN to get a 20% discount at Riverside FM. The link is in our description box. SecureFrame is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. SecureFrame helps you get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months, and it's used by thousands of companies like AngelList, Coda, and Remote. I believe in the company so much, I invested in it, and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo at secureframe.com and mention Moment of Zen during your demo to get 20% off your first year of SecureFrame.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I had the same thought Dan Dan had when I, I went to the MoMA recently and for the Diego Rivera exhibit and like the only names on the thing when you walk in, there's always this like logo, you know, tombstone of everything. It's like the government of Mexico and then something else. You go to the Met in New York, and it's literally every hedge fund asshole who's ever existed with every, with every horrible wall street bank but they have to launder the reputations and compete for prestige by funding civic organizations and the only names that you have here are basically benioff and zuckerberg with hospitals and like nothing else right and right I, but look what
2: happened to zuckerberg after the hospital right exactly so it's like the reception it's also a unique thing about the san francisco culture which attracts this like there is this pretty intense like berkeley granola munching we hate the 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 rich people thing that is—it's gonna be throwing eggs at any kind of elite that looks
3: like that. So it's, but so so Zach put what the hundred million into Newark, like what? Why new Newark? It should have been Bayview. Like you like the 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 idea of like okay, you make the fortune in the area, and then to be fair, I think he's done a lot in East Palo Alto. So like that's actually even more local to where Facebook is. But the the like obsession with like a global like impact or or human level impact versus like let's take care of the local stuff first like make sure that's sorted up so that like we're good then work on on the i mean even even Elon right like you know he he has a state where he's built two uh, you know 100 plus billion dollar companies and he has whatever Lorena Gonzalez or Gomez or whatever her name is is like you know fuck you Elon or and so it's like well there's a version of that where Elon had done a better job of really engaging in the state politics and, and all Democrats want to hold Elon up in terms of like, Oh, he, he's he's creating manufacturing jobs in California, which, which basically don't exist now. But I, I don't know, like, I think just like tech sucks at political engagement, the whole the whole way through in the state, and and arguably even in DC. Well, well
0: Dan, if, if, if R-Caster becomes as big as Twitter, how would you do it differently?
3: In terms of California level engagement?
0: Uh, in, in terms of you're, you're saying that um, billionaires are investing kind of outside the the, the state or, or city in, in places that or in areas that don't really matter, how would how would your approach be, be different?
3: The state legislatures, those those races are are like insanely cheap. Like who cares about what Elizabeth Warren is saying? Like let, let's let's actually take over California in terms of like put put moderate like pro tech pro business people in, and they, don't, they could be Democrat or Republican, but but like basically just get a majority in the state legislature. And, and now you control the state. The governor is just like kind of, it's just like San Francisco. Like the, the, the legislature is the thing that controls the state of California, not the governor. And, and, and same thing with board of supervisors versus the mayor. It, it's not that much money. Just to, to Solana's point, it's just people don't care. Like the, it's like you have to slog through Sacramento. You have to go to all these weird districts and primary people and, and find qualified candidates who want to go live in these places.
2: It's also not, it's like not sexy Is I always go back to that. It's just like not like, even if you did it, if you killed it in local politics, you own a bunch of seats. Like you're the boss of, of no one cares. You're not getting, no one's like, oh, come sit at my table at this club because you run local politics in San Francisco. Like that doesn't exist. It's just like, you got to do it because you love it and you think it's important. And most people will never, the average person is just not going to care. That's also like the nature of the internet maybe. Right, like there's something that happened with, this probably has always been the case to a certain extent, but I think the internet really makes this the case where um, everyone, even local, is talking about national issues. It's like, that's the thing that gets you the most attention obviously, because it can reach outside of your city and and the internet, it's like an attention economy. So you do whatever gives you the most attention and that just puts a focus on the big national elections. Like if everyone's talking about the national issues then obviously that's like, that's the Olympics. And everything else is just the minor leagues or whatever.
3: Yeah, But I think the reframe for people in California, and you look, I'm still here, right? Um, it's what the fourth, sixth largest economy in the world, like people should just take a California first approach. And and it, if you actually now can control the state or, or have major influence in the state in terms of the agenda and like the, the set of policies, then I actually think it's like what, whatever way California goes, the, the rest of the country starts to follow. It's like Sacramento nationalism. <laughs> right. I mean, like if, if California changes the, the, you know, electric vehicle standards in the state, the rest of the country will be on electric vehicles five to 10 years later. Like it just, it, 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 and, and to be fair, Texas can do the same thing. And, and, and so I think it's like these two really large states, Florida's actually in the running for being able to say that, where it's like, y- you can actually have a disproportionate impact on national policy just by virtue of like running your state better. I, I think that that's like the bull case for DeSantis is like he's he's taking a top five state from a population standpoint and 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 competently governing it. You know, you can say what you want in his policies, but like he, he is in control of the state and the state legislature.
1: I mean, I, I think you're right, Dan, with, with Florida because it's a lot more monolithic here. But if you look at California, if you, I mean, this is a classic thing, right? If you look at the voting maps of California by, by county. It's not actually a blue state, right? I mean, by by area, it's actually a red state by and large. Although by population, obviously, it's a blue state. You you don't have a cohesive California. You got to know the California where they believe in the state of Jefferson that wants to pull away. It's as red state as anything. The, the vibe is not San Francisco at all, and so the, the, there isn't a coherent Californian identity. And I know I know Solana hates the network state idea, but I'm, I'm going to harp on it that I, I do think it's it's an urban art. It's a blue urban archipelago and a sea of red. And in states like California, th- that's just like a random subset of that rural urban divide. But but I agree with it. In in Florida, it's a lot more monolithic in the sense that people in Miami are ProtoSantis and people in the sticks, uh, you know, between Miami and Orlando are also Protestantists. But I think you'd get a different story. I think you get a different story in in California. Like, and I I don't know how you recreate that regional identity. It's very difficult to do.
3: Well, before you joined, we were actually talking about Tim Draper's wacky idea of splitting the state. And and I'm, I'm convinced, like, you just split it into six states Three, three, you know, two seat Republican, three, two seat Democrat doesn't change the national balance, but every Californian now has a disproportional, uh, impact in terms of now their representation at the, the national level gets increased. Okay. Well, let's
1: really go viral. Dan, where would you draw the NorCal SoCal line?
3: Well, I mean, that's the two state version and obviously you'd have to do it so that it would neutralize, uh, any, any swing for one party. But, I mean, if I was to draw the line, I think it's uh, everything north of Santa Barbara is probably northern California. Just just draw it right across the state. Although, you start getting, like, Bakersfield uh, over there, so you got to, like, make sure that that is appropriate. Really I think split. Arizona
1: can take Bakersfield, actually, or, <laughs> or Nevada, actually. But I would draw it in, like, St. Louis. Abisco.
3: Kevin McCarthy is going to be so excited of not being from <laughs> California anymore. Which is kind of crazy to think about that. It's like California actually just switched uh, Speaker of the House is from California on the Democrat side and on the Republican side in a state where no one ever thinks California is being Republican. Right. But if we
0: were, us four, were solely dedicated over the next like five to 10 years to really making a dent and changing California, um, like what do we think are the highest like points of leverage? Or like what would our strategy be that we haven't discussed yet?
2: I think talking about it's really my first thing is just like I really think you have to associate status with it somehow. Um, I don't think people, if there's, unless you're going to pay people a lot of money, there has to be status associated with it. So talking about it, creating celebrations of the people who are doing it, making them look cool. I don't know how you do that. Um, yet I would have to sit down with a pen and a pad and think of ways to make local politics sexy, but I mean, money around it helps, which goes back to like what I believe Antonio and Dan were talking about with like the museums and stuff. Like there was some kind of Met Gala that was actually bomb that everybody wanted to go to. And it was like, the local politicians were were there. I I don't know. Status though is what I'm thinking of. Like you have to associate status with it because
1: you're not going to be able to pay them more. It's always going to be a shit job here's here's the bear case for san francisco not to pop Solana's bubble because because i think he should be doing what he's doing you know what the equivalent of the met gala was this past friday i shit you not there was an ai meetup at the exploratorium that just would not leave my fucking feed the girlfriend was there like that was the event of the fucking year and it was a bunch of nerds talking about like chat gpt yeah but all that says to me
2: is that there's always going to be money in san francisco like that is that if that's the thing that's that's the coolest thing of of the year. That's why people keep succeeding
1: here is because so there's going to be resources. That's a that's a that's a bull case. That's not a bear case. Well, but let me let me finish the thought. I, I think the rea- how I've come to peace with San Francisco since I like I've I've just like resolved myself to living here is that it's always going to be basically a petri dish of bizarre social experiments, whether it's tech or whether it's like dumb progressive politics or whether it's like just druggies doing drugs on the street. It's always going to be this total shit show. And that that's just what it is. That's its role in life.
3: It's a gold. It's a gold rush city. Boom bust. Boom bust. I thought you were living in Miami now. I'd like to maintain that idea. We're, like, we're <laughs> like
2: Batman, Joker over here. Like I'm living in Miami, talking about how much I love San Francisco, and you're living in San Francisco, and you never shut up about Miami.
1: It, it, it's, it's the cycle of life. Mm-hmm.
3: explain the contradictions. As, uh, would say. But but I, so so for me, the the number one thing to fix California is you have a a massive. Um, population of immigrant or second generation Americans. And I think if you just run on a platform that you can teach their kids algebra, so like, you know, whether you're an Asian American or a Latino American, and the idea is like, no, we are not going to remove math from your schools. Like, we are going to try to make it so that your kid can have a better life for you. I think that that platform would win. And you could run as a central, uh, you know, centrist Republican or Democrat, just be like, we will teach your kids algebra. Like Gary Tan, kind of like in a you know political party, and just just run just, just run hard on that. And I think if like you spend ten years, you can actually build the swing vote, because like I mean you know like math is not racist, and, and like just just make that the central tenet. I, I think you actually start to build a pretty big coalition. What it definitely does in San Francisco is it 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 realigns
2: it it realigns the Asian the Asian American community. And that's huge. That
3: is the that the whole balance of power has shifted really because of that, I think, in San Francisco. Right. And I, I actually think like immigrant uh, families and second generation are more conservative than most people think. And we saw this with the the swing from Latinos across the country towards Trump. Right. It's are like, they, uh, though,
2: I always I think people. So what is the deal in Texas, though? Right. Isn't South Texas still pretty pretty blue. So is it maybe just like a Florida Latino or I'm sorry. I next. think
3: every county in Texas that was on the border increased their vote share for Trump. So the, the media would tell that the border is like, you know, the wall is really of yeah. yeah, exactly. I would say yeah. particularly the border. That's right. Right. So, so people who live near the border increase their vote for Trump. Just, that's a, that's a fact. That's not an opinion. Like go, go look at the data.
0: I have been surprised at how many um, Asian people, despite the systemic discrimination against them, <laughs> seem to seem to support it. Um, do like has there been an Asian swing, or, or or are we just hopeful that that could happen?
2: Well, there was in San Francisco. It was an Asian swing. They were called the school board, right? Yeah. yeah, and and it was they were just as activated over the crime. I don't know what, I don't know what California looks like, but I don't think San Francisco is uniquely. It has like a huge, huge, huge Asian population that's not the same in the rest of the
3: state. Isn't it, isn't it like 30 to 40% of the city? Or, it's up there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really high, it might even be higher. No, look, I, I think the state of California is is a state of immigrants, both from like kind of, uh, you know, different socioeconomic levels and education levels. And I think if you just sell immigrants on, we teach people algebra in this party, I think you can, you can make progress. <laughs> That's tongue in cheek, but I, th- I think it's like that's the winning coalition to build around. It's it's like there there's actually a lot of shared values across a lot of different cultures there. California for people moving the transient, it's like you want a better life, you the land of opportunity. Like sell that. If it's just policies,
2: then it's also crime, and that's the one that years ago when we were before the new moment in San Francisco politics was happening. It was like 2020. I remember going over some like EMB people. They were super locally activated went over their house, we were drinking on a roof. And I was like, yo, the thing that everybody, no one cares about housing. Like, yeah, we agree, we should build more housing. We all agree, all smart people think that that's true. That's not like emotionally activating. The average person doesn't care and it doesn't matter that they think you're right. They're not gonna get out and vote for it. The thing that you need to think about is crime. Like I've never had a conversation with anyone in San Francisco in 2020. I'm like, I've never had a conversation with someone, no matter how liberal they were, where if I said, hey, sucks that crime's legal. They weren't like, yo, we got to do something about this crime. And they were so scared of it. They were like, no, 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 it's a, it's a losing issue. But I think that that's actually the school board happened for sure. But I, it's hard to know who was less popular. Was it, was it the school board or was it Chesa Bowden?
3: Less, less people voted in, in that board, the school board election. I, I think crime, crime is the bigger issue, right? Like, And and my favorite thing is like San Francisco has all these, you know, super lib biker types, like, you know, they have these really fancy road bikes and they're they're the ones like, Oh, you know, they've got to support, you know, whatever, whatever set of, you know, talking points from the New York times, they have their like $10,000 bike stolen out of their garage because someone had been like scoping through the garage and they like are able to break it and pull the, pull the string down. And it's just like, maybe there's a little bit of disconnect between the, the stated set of, policies that you want and then like the, the the actual issue that you probably need to be focused on at the local level this reminds me like, i think like, of- as came in he was gonna like sue companies that were based in san francisco for climate change violations <laughs> 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 they're
2: so fucked up the bar is so low like if you just like step back and when i hear shit like that it's like <laughs> it's really it's just like such a low bar but on the crime thing i'm thinking of I feel like you guys might, Antonio, I feel like definitely will know something about this. This is the, the labor party in the UK was really anti-crime. They were, it was like, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I remember hearing this, that like they were never, it was like the, the pro labor stuff, the pro
1: working class stuff was also super anti-crime, super pro police. I don't know. But I I mean, it's definitely been the case that the left-right divide on many issues has flipped recently, right? I mean, Cesar Chavez was anti-illegals, right? Because it would undermine the unions. And in fact, the left, which was pro-union, was typically anti-immigration because obviously undercut working class labor.
3: Yeah, and that's only a recent change. I think it's basically with Trump because up until, you know, like the Democrat policy was like, you know, illegal immigration hurts, hurts unions. And that's like through Obama
2: even. Democrats were still pro I think. Illegal immigration. They weren't like open borders. It was the hard left. It was the socialist left that was like, no, immigration is a coke, it's a Koch brothers ploy. And that's still the, you know, that's like still the energy of the Democrats. But your average run of the mill lefty was like, who cares if you're just so scared that you're white and you don't want to have, you don't want to be like, you know, replaced or whatever. And that's, that was their argument. At least as long as I can remember. I mean, I'm not in college in the early 2000s. Like that was definitely...
3: I don't know. I I, I feel like I shouldn't just go back and look at the data after this. But like I'm pretty sure that post Trump, just because of the all the rhetoric and the like wall stuff and, and the Muslim ban and stuff, like I think all of that flipped. Like if you just look at the surveys of like people's opinion on immigration, it's kind of not a huge issue and then it massively increased in terms of like now this is something that it's like team blue versus team red.
2: But even before like while Trump was running, he was the only one willing to even touch it and there was no like democrat at that like bernie sanders was anti-immigration but he wasn't talking about that and i think he wasn't talking about that because he knew he had to get democrats on his side
3: yeah yeah i, I don't think democrats were yelling it from the rooftops but i think in general like if you just it it, 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 it was a marked shift in terms of the, the political issue
1: here's a macro theory i think a lot of this is that people are actually able to actually insulate themselves from the consequences of their political beliefs and in the case of both crime and schooling or for example. Uh, shipping a bunch of immigrants to, uh, what was it, Martha's Vineyard? What was DeSantis's son? <laughs> for example, <laughs> who were probably shipped out, I think, within 24 hours, literally. They got vacated from from Martha's Vineyard, right? I think They moved them
3: to a military base. Yeah. That's, don't call it not not a concentration camp.
1: Do so we call it a camp? Is that, is that what that would be? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of people have lots of opinions that they don't actually have to pay the bill on. And that's kind of the reality. And I, I think as- as politics gets more virtual and more online, it's more the case that you can sort of evince a certain thing, but not actually have to, like, toe the line on what that actually implies for you in your real life. And I think things like schooling is where you can't avoid it. They're coming after your kids. Like, I back, I, I don't know, Mike, have you ever, like, listened in on some of the school board calls back in the early days? They were, like, heartbreaking. Uh, particularly in the Lowell thing when they're going to shut down Lowell, right, which is, like, this merit-based testing school. And you had, like, no shit... Like, because the, they put the kids on, the parents put the kids on, which yeah. you know, it might seem manipulative, but it's like, well, no, it's the kid who's going to the school. Right. So they put on this eighth grader and it, it was so heartbreaking. I had to stop listening. It's like, yeah, you know, my parents aren't rich. We have a restaurant. And like, this is my one shot out. I want to go to Lowell. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just fucking flame the school anyhow because a little kid it's like god damn it like people could only take so much of that before they finally just like flip out and like oh there's a glitch in the matrix clearly something is broken here I-
2: there were also a lot of crazy people including crazy kids in the on those calls who were on the other side which is a weird thing that san francisco people have to contend with is that like I think until these crisis moments, like Lowell was shutting down, and more people were willing to come, until those moments, the only people that the board of education is even seeing, the only people who are going to those meetings, are completely deranged, like like ext- like the cl- clowniest people you've ever seen in your life live at those meetings. And so I think like another, what I would change if we, if I could be like dictator of San Francisco for a day, I would Thanos snap all of those meetings out of existence. Like we don't need any of these. I think it's like, unless something's happening, I don't, we, the school board doesn't need to be meeting once a week and having public commentary. And it's like, we need less councils, less committees, less public opinion. It's like, we elect people to pass laws and if they fail, they're fired. I think it's kind of roughly how it should go. Public opinion should just be
1: tweets. So you put the tweet out and let, let people let their deranged tweet. It's all Twitter. Poll. And then, then people can,
3: yeah, people can can like it.
1: Sorry, I, I'm liking the idea of the Solana Caliphate in San Francisco, Solana. I, I have to say, it's the only way. Got
3: to move back first.
1: I guess that's the
0: first. <laughs> one example of making something like higher status than it was previously is uh, is Teach for America. Like they were able to introduce a whole set of people to become teachers who would have never done prior. And I wonder if something similar you could imagine, like a YC for candidates or something, where it's it's seen as um, impressive to get in. These people wouldn't have done it otherwise. Um, to your point on
2: status. Well, I love it if it was So, teach for America is also temporary. So if you could, yeah. if you could think about like, okay, I'm going to go into service for just, it'll be, it's a, it's a two or three year really intense thing where I'm not making a lot of money, but yes, then it's like high status. I think that could, something like that could work, but it's just so different than what we have now in terms of, I mean, career politicians and and whatnot. Like, yeah. I don't even know how to get to there, but I, I think that that would be, yeah, that would be
0: it for yeah. sure. And it, 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 it's not just high status, it's a career stepping
3: stone as well. Um, the, the pushback I'd say there is like all the stuff that Obama did, he like attracted all these like techies and, and stuff like that. And they couldn't even launch the Obamacare website. So like, and, and I don't actually think it's because the the people who are working there weren't talented, right? Like they were probably the most talented group of like technical people that the government ever had working for it. It's just the bureaucracy itself is is the... Is the thing to fight. yeah but that's on a national level maybe on a local level maybe more. oh i think i think it's pervasive i think it's just like public sector unions like rules tenure like all all, all that, that crap it's just like an inaction don't don't add anything so i think you have to blow that structure up before before you actually get anything which which you can do by the way if you took over a group of candidates that that got the supervisor you know majority and, and the mayor and you could start changing
1: the rules. We f- found the anti-institutionalist here, Dan Romero, who just so happens to work in crypto. Amazing how those two are often, so, so often correlated. <laughs> so, uh, so I, Alana, love
2: institutions. I just want to be in
1: charge of them. <laughs> well, So that's a good question. So th- this business, I think this is best enunciated in, a, in an Alana essay in Tablet Magazine, but it, I, I've had the thought for a long time too. I, I had a footnote in, so, in a, in a sub Like this business of anti institutionalists versus pro institutionalists is actually one of the latent variables that defines a lot of things that are downstream of that. Um, which I, I, you know what I'm talking about sauna, right? Like we've, we brought this up in the group chat, right? So I, I'm curious if you agree with, with that mapping, like that's actually a thing in the world that, that like predicts reality and, 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 and then if so, where do you find yourself on that sort of spectrum slash binary?
2: I do agree. I think that a lot of anti-institutionalists are just confused because our institutions are completely rotted. And so you think you're an anti-institutionalist. I certainly did until I moved to San Francisco and like, there are things that I wanted. Like I wanted, I wanted stronger institutions that that were capable of doing more. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm actually an institutionalist. I just, I, I, I am like an optimist and I believe this stuff can be fixed if not fixed, replaced. And I think that like, it's just our job to, and it sounds so naive. I understand that. I hear myself saying it. I know it sounds stupid, but I think that, it is our every generation's job, is just to kind of like improve things. And that hasn't happened for a few generations. And now it's this like, oh, well, maybe the problem is institutions. And it's like, no, the problem is that we don't care about our institutions. And if we did, and we were going into these places and refortifying them or building our own, I mean, Facebook right now is an institution. That's a new institution. Unfortunately, it's completely you know, captured by crazy people, but every single new tech company is a new institution potentially. Um, So that's one of the things I like about tech the most is it's it's like natural sort of, I wrote a piece about this called The Fifth Estate where it was like, it's like the final check on power is tech. It like completely replaces it. And so, yeah, I'm I'm an institutionalist. I think we need better institutions. I have no doubt that they will be corrupted. Pirate Wires is going to be, a huge institution that eventually my progeny will fuck up and um like someone else will have to build a new pirate wires but until then it's like our job to build
3: these things but that but by definition that's anti-institutional so you're, you you, you opted to create a new new institution you didn't go work for the new york times like you didn't look for the the column you didn't spin pirate wires into some op-ed I, column think it, I mean the crypto thing to me feels like
2: you're you're changing the rules it's like institutions will never have
3: this power there won't be institutions in a way it's oh. how there will be institutions just a new set new set of rules
1: yeah i think that's that's a little bit of confusion i've, I've had this confusion before i mean the anti-institutionalists they're not like anarchists in the sense that they're not institutions as a whole they're like is it worth rescuing the new york times or do we create pirate wires right that's the difference they're not unrealistic little anarchist kids it's just like they think there's no center worth saving right that's that's the claim
0: some, some people, some crypto people would say centralized power should not exist. Like corporations sh- shouldn't be as big as they are, as centralized as they are, or government shouldn't be as centralized as it is. It should be just a ton of little different, the,
3: like, and, the, and those people have never built anything of scale. Like they, they, they're they not responsible for any amount of the dollars that have ever floated to Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm about to say, and they, they sure as fuck don't say that when they're pitching VCs. Let me tell you, <laughs> oh no, we're all going to stay in this little village called, no, of course not. Right.
3: <laughs> there, there are yeah. some pure people in crypto. I'll give those people uh, yeah, like okay. intellectual credit, but like they're, they're French. Like they haven't, they haven't made a material difference and, and, and they spend most of their time talking on Twitter, which is a centralized entity, like building an audience. Elon
0: taking over Twitter opened my eyes to what is possible. Like you you can actually take over existing companies and radically, or, or other institutions and radically change the culture and network effects are, you know, crazy powerful. And it's, you know, it would have been much harder for him to build, build
2: a new one. Impossible. I would say. We're, 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 we're impossible over. Here, so yeah. but You're building something that's not going to be, I mean, it's if by virtue of being, I mean, it's a crypto thing. It's got to be different in some fundamental
3: way. Yeah, but it, it, many days it does feel impossible.
2: So I will, I will agree with the
0: sentiment. Uh, Paul Graham tweeted, he was like, why don't you just build a new one? You could, you know, replace it
2: in a week or something, I remember. Um, but it, it's weird when he says things like that, because it's like, you're not... He's a smart person, and he works in tech, and he knows that that's not true. So, what are, actually? I'm like, is there a Straussian read of this that I'm just not picking up on? Like, what what is the point of it? Like, I don't understand what he's saying with that. Really, what is he? What is the thing behind the thing that he's
0: saying? Sometimes he sounds brilliant, and sometimes he sounds like a boomer or something, or just like out of out of you know, just doesn't get
1: it.
3: I, but that's I, that, part of his brilliance.
1: He just doesn't care. He'll yeah. just say what he thinks. Thanks, totally. I mean, I think you see this a lot with very brilliant people. So I, you know, I've worked with BG, we're a YC company, and he often gave us advice that was either super brilliant, or like, you're fucking out of your mind, and you're wrong. And and it ended up being true. And the fact that he was wrong, I don't know, it's like our friend Bology, right? That like, it's kind of, it's, you know, a lot of these people who work in tech, their brain ends up looking like a VC's portfolio, right? There's like 10 or 20% that are incredibly correct, directionally true, exponentially true thoughts. And 80% of it is like total hogwash, absolute in the red, total losses, just Total disaster, and like you just have to kind of meet them on their terms. <laughs> I think a little bit.
3: Yeah, the the money maker is which ten to twenty percent of right.
1: Exactly, exactly. Sure.
3: what's the Elon taking Twitter over version of
2: politics? I guess that's what Trump was supposed to be, right? Drain the swamp. I mean, Elon is he
3: draining the swamp? I I, I think it's you have to build the the app. It's it's Curtis Curtis has this whole framework for this, but I, I think generally, like you you build the app that can actually create the Equivalent of 21st century like machine politics like boss tweed without the criminal element and like all, all the negative stuff of that like but like real machine politics that you can actually use that as a a force and and, and like within the democratic system like we, we we had that for you know 100 years where it's like immigrant groups would show up to a place and then they'd actually take over because of machine politics and then we kind of pushed that out of the the I don't even know. Overton window. But maybe it's time to bring it back and, and do it in an app form with competent government.
2: I think it was Peter. I know it was Peter. I'm saying I think because I feel like maybe he won't want me to bring this back up. But he would. He wouldn't care. Uh, he says that too little corruption is sort of a problem. Like you don't want it to be a really corrupt society. But if it's like if there's no corruption, you're not getting anything done. That's so just then a bunch of rule followers. Like everything is, is process in rules and bureaucracy. I think that was like famously his criticism of Obama.
3: He's like, that man is not corrupt at all. (laughs) and Nothing's changing. Yeah. I mean, the last two presidents have, there are different levels of corruption, depending on which team you believe. Like you you either see corruption with one and the other one is pristine or or vice versa. Actually, I don't think anyone does think Trump's corrupt, (laughs) (laughs) but he kind of owns it, right?
0: (laughs) Maybe let's segue back to um, Taylor Lorenz for a second.
2: Um, I keep bringing Taylor runs back. I'm blocked. I can't, I don't even know what she's saying. She didn't just block me. She, she went and found like every entity I am like associated with. And she blocked them too. Like she blocked Pirate Wires. She blocked the Pirate Wires intern account. She blocked me. She blocked, I think she blocked Founders Fund. It was like down the line.
0: You're you're
1: you're blocked out of the way back. But she's machine. still reading you, dude. I'm sure she is. Back when she cared, she would we're mutual blocks. But then she would screenshot my tweets that people would send her or something. So you're probably free. Still under the eye of Sauron, whether yeah. you like it or not. Well, the, she's the, a the, 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 hate,
3: the hate tweet alt account where she she reads all the people that she's blocked. <laughs> I mean, she would unblock me to comment and then reblock.
2: And that was that. It's been like a year and a half since then. I don't think she thinks much about me anymore. um I. <laughs> I love <laughs> her. I think that she's actually really underrated and up here, I'm going to make the steel man. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that she's like a savant at internet trends. I think she really does understand culture and where it's going and like who the big people are going to be and what's relevant and what's not. And so when she's picking on some like random seeming person with 10,000 followers, um, She's right. Usually like that person actually has a big audience and like a bunch of young people do care about them and they are talking about them. And, um, and so she's like, she says a lot, like she, her kind of read on how culture works is, I think I agree with it basically. I think she, she takes social media seriously. I used to always say, you know, she hates when people call her a TikTok reporter and like, she considers that like, like, you know, like derision or whatnot. And I would, i mean, like, that's awesome. There should be TikTok reporters. There should be people following trends on an app that has, you know, a hundred million people on it every day. That seems like a pretty big deal. And she understands it really well.
3: And so I think that's cool. Well, if you think of like foreign, foreign correspondents being in war zones, right? Like where is the biggest war zone? I mean, obviously there are people dying right, in, in Ukraine, like, that but like cool. for most people in, in, in Western society, the war zone is Twitter. Yes, and she
2: understands that, and she lives there, and she's like this stuff. Actually, when when some crazy trend about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow eating bone broth takes off, that matters. Like she just takes it seriously, and I agree with that. I take it. I take I take internet bullshit extremely seriously. I think it <laughs> shapes our entire world, and so I am very much on the side of Taylor Lorenz in that capacity. Obviously, I'm not an agoraphobe, so we have our differences, but. <laughs> Generally speaking, I think she's really cool. Is agoraphobe the thing with her thermostat or what's an agoraphobe? You don't leave the house. Oh, right. right. It's agoraphobic.
0: Yeah, you're afraid of open species. <laughs> also, remember her thermostat was like way too Nightly. hot or something? Because like- she's
2: a <laughs> reptile. Yeah. But that's yeah. cool. Like, she rolls with that's that. Track. She has like, she has an internet mythology
1: around her. That's. <laughs> How old is she? Nobody knows. I mean, it's just. I, like I think she's one. I, I would say that's the most amusing thing about her. You go to Wikipedia page, no one knows the year she was born. Like she's some sort of obscure 15th century <laughs> Dutch painter or something. Well, I don't. Nobody knows that the documents, you know, were burnt in the Spanish invasion of the Netherlands, and we just—I don't know Anytime between 1976 and 1985, we—it's like Moses. I mean,
3: yeah. You know, <laughs> we're we're gonna now have just like an internet descending of number of tweets, and no, like no we're cares. gonna have to deal with our mentions are gonna be blown there's, up. There's been, this, been a fragmentation. She doesn't have to deal with us anymore. There's a fragmentation. Like, no, it'll, it'll somehow make her, you know, its way through the, the series of tubes. <laughs> What's she so, doing? Actually, they don't care about it. I, I don't know. I, I'm just for the record, like, you know, people can live their own lives. I've been What's blocked. Talking? i I'm, I'm... she, I was watching, I, I recently
2: uh, live tweeted the TikTok con- congressional hearing and I did a piece on that. So I was like very keen into it. And the, the stream that I happened to be on, because I couldn't find, um, c-span for some reason on youtube it was like the washington post came up and I, I was running late i'm like fuck it i'm just gonna click this one and watch this it's just a stream but what that meant was i also got their commentary on on uh, uh during recess and then at the end of it and at the end of it um i went to the like i came back from lunch basically so it was like running still and so and then there was taylor lorenz and i was like oh taylor what does taylor have to say and the first thing that she did was she went after one of her colleagues for um, basically, one of the women there said that TikTok was censoring BLM content, and Taylor was like, "That's are you retarded? That didn't happen." She's like, "That it was like all." Well, over. She definitely didn't say retarded. She did not say the R <laughs> word. She did not say the R word. We know that she didn't say the R word. Um, she was like, "She was like, this is this content was not only was it not censored throughout the summer months of 2020, it was it was like clearly amplified by the platform." And so what she cares about more than loyalty is herself and being right and her brand and her reputation is like, you know, the gangster on the TikTok beat. And there's something about that, that I also, it's not how I run. I'm a little bit, I'm like super, like my people only kind of person, but she will betray a person left and right. And like, you have to almost respect that. It's like, she's just in the game to win. One thing you can certainly respect is she just quintuples down.
0: Like just, I mean, the, the COVID stuff, uh, or the, yeah. the long, long COVID, I mean, just, um, will not back down.
3: I don't know. I just want to know, does, does the CCP <laughs> censor Tiananmen's work content on TikTok? Like that, that's a reporter should figure out that question. Le- I think that they, I think that it's, I think, so I know that it was like a jokey kind of,
2: but I think that actually what's happening is they are censoring less. And I, this is a thing that Taylor is doing where she's talking about how like, you're an idiot. If you think that that's being censored, just go on there and look at it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, it's not being censored now because it's a fucking propaganda situation where they're trying to not be banned. And obviously there's a lot going on. I mean, they just unbanned the the basketball player who, uh who, who, I forget what he, the guy's name is freedom. What did he criticize? NS freedom. He changed his his name to it. Yeah. So that guy, um, he was unbanned, right? Like TikTok is obviously playing a game and like you would hope that your reporters covering something like this, um, would provide that, that important context that like historically, these things have clearly been censored. We have evidence of the censorship and, um, and now they're not
3: because there's a lot on the line. What do you guys think about that, by the way, the TikTok stuff? Or have you already talked about it? Maybe you don't want to. I think it should I think it should either be divested or banned, period. And no restrict act, all that crazy stuff. Like, absolutely not. Like, it should just be, they either they need to 100% divest. They don't allow our social media in their country. We shouldn't have a parent in, in China that, that has the servers and all that. Like, it, it needs to clear separation. And if you can't technically do that, shut it down. So I I think they would be able to technically make it work, given how much money it's making. But if it was just restrict act or nothing? Absolutely not. Restrict act is is like worse than the Patriot Act. Like, I don't even think the Supreme Court would allow it. Like, I I think it would get struck down on a whole bunch of things. I think that,
2: I mean, on the sort of protectionism stuff, where, so a lot of, on the question of um, spying, People are constantly sort of saying all over TikTok, this is being said, this is being said by the, the pro TikTok people on Twitter, all the media. It's like, you don't care about the spying. You just want what's good for like US tech companies. And my, I'm like, that sounds great. What like, what is the problem with that? And this is where I'm just like, not a libertarian at all anymore. I don't need to even, I do think that they that we're, I think the spying is a huge problem. I think that the question is always like, well, what are they going to do with the data? I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to know. I know that this is an enemy and I, I don't want them to have anything that they could use potentially. I don't know that there's a lot of evidence yet on the propaganda side. I think targeted propaganda is inevitable. I don't know what that's going to manifest as, but I don't want to cross that bridge ever. However, I also, they like you mentioned, they have banned like all of our major tech tech companies. Why, why is why is within why does America have to be the place where we compete, but no nowhere else? Why is it like freedom is when every single country in the world can compete for America for the American market, but America can't compete in any other market? That's just as stupid to me. And with China, it's so easy. It's like You're gonna, you're banned, all of your software companies are banned actually until you unban ours. And then once you do, we can play ball again, but until we do, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home.
0: So do the Glenn Greenwalds of the world, just who are normally on, on our side on a a bunch of things, do they just don't appreciate the, um, America, China dynamic?
3: No, I, I don't even understand the argument. I don't think it's coherent. He just thinks that america is the big bad i think yeah we 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 know other people who think that too like it's just like okay so sorry your anti-america hate is is showing like like let's let's actually go back to the merit of the argument
2: listen there are i understand the arguments are like yeah like our our deep state has done a bunch of fucked up things not only here but abroad and you can make that argument all day but um but it's but it's our deep state so that, that like That's how I feel. Like yeah. it's like, yeah, there are psychopaths. Like I'm still on their team. Like I I, I don't want to say who he was who said this once. Um, you all know him. And he once said to me, I don't know him, just to be clear, I don't know what he's about to say, <laughs> but I'm already
1: excluding myself from this group. He once said ahead. to
2: me, he was like, I think that like the woke New York Times people are worse than the Taliban. And I was like, <laughs> What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Like, and we've been—it was like the height of like the anti-tech people versus New York Times people versus journalist people thing. That's yeah. like, no, they're not. It's like, yeah, they're crazy and woke and stupid, but like, there are crazy, woke, stupid people. <laughs> Is this guy
0: in
1: Miami, Mike? He lives in Miami. No, he, nope. he, doesn't. he, he doesn't, doesn't live in the U.S., man. <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> I'm guessing the wrong person. All right, interesting. <laughs> Look, yeah, I want him to be on TikTok just because I appreciate. You know, bold state power. Look, look what happened in El Salvador with this Bukela guy, who literally took all the gang members and put them in prison. Everyone loves him. Why? Because he just made the murder rate go from something stratospheric to zero because the state actually did something. I think the West is so starved for actual leadership who goes and does a thing and a thing happens in the world. And there's no excuses, there's no asking. I mean, there, there's, a certain, there's a certain beauty to boldness. I remember when, so I was working at a mobile attribution company when uh, Modi banned TikTok in India. And like, so, and what attribution means is you see where everyone's coming from, right? And so like, we had like the TikTok needle and it just went off a cliff from one day to the next. Like literally the biggest line in every chart suddenly just went to zero overnight. I have to say it was kind of spectacular in a way. It was like, oh my God, you can just do that. You can just turn off the biggest social media in a country of whatever, a hundred billion plus in the case of India overnight. And the, the universe does, life does not end. Like just, that's it. It's just sure, TikTok the
2: Of the guys
3: poking the thing with a stick, do something.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Pompey and the Pirates, man. Like It's like a tale as old as time. Everyone loves a good person who comes in and cleans up the problem. I agree with you, with Antonio, what you just said. I, it's, And it's
2: you put it so well. It's like we are starved for some kind of demonstration of ability and there's none. And one thing I thought a lot about in the context of... I thought about this in the context of Elon Musk where it was crazy to me how um, when he was in the thick of buying Twitter, every single first dumb idiot on on Twitter was like, you know, why are you, you know, buying Twitter with that money? You should be solving world hunger. You should be solving transportation. You should be solving, and they would just check off everything. And I thought to myself, why aren't you asking your government to solve these things? Like they have trillions of dollars. Like why are they just beyond? And the reason is because Elon Musk, while he has a lot less money, is the only example we actually have of someone. Who, doing a lot of stuff. And there, I mean there are a few, but they're all entrepreneurs. They're all tech people. They're all billionaires. And that's why I think maybe we put the onus on them to solve our problems is because we just can't we literally cannot even imagine. We can't even comprehend like a world in which our government could do stuff. It's just like it's gone. That's no longer a thing. But but we we didn't do
3: that right it's like we did get to the moon we did do the manhattan project like we we have the the like somewhere back in the i don't know evolutionary biology of the government we we, we can do those things it's just it's a willingness to and and i think we're we're a civilization of rule followers now did the did the government become
0: um sort of impotent like just incrementally or what would you say was the
2: biggest inflection point my whole life, it's been like this, right? I think, I think the inflection point
3: is before any of us. Yeah. This is, this is a topic for the people who have spent enough time reading all those old books. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, the Cold old war, old. war was somewhat different, right? Like, I'm old enough to remember the 80s yeah. and Reagan, um, in which state action was imposing its will on the world in, like, a competent way. Um, yeah.
3: That, that's the other argument is you don't have a competitive, right? Like when you don't yes. have the tension of an actual, and, and maybe this is what China does is able to reinvigorate the way we do things in the US, right? Like you can say all you want about the CHIPS Act and like how much bloat is going to be there. But if if 10 years from now, and, and maybe this is too optimistic, but let's just hypothetically say this. 10 years from now, we actually now have real fabs in the US, maybe not at the production capacity of what what's available in, in Taiwan or East Asia. But if if we and, and, and with AI, right, like pinning everything on AI in terms of the deflationary impacts and and just like the the productivity boost, like maybe maybe we do have a big renaissance in terms of our ability to just like build shit. And and that's why I like you know whatever you want to say about Elon, like the thing that's so fucking inspiring about him is like he's landing two rockets at a time. Like I think I, I saw something recently. It's like Starlink has like some crazy number of satellites now around the world. It's like, you just have ubiquitous internet everywhere. And it's just like, that's just like one of the few things that he's doing. And it, it, it's, I don't know, like we, we just need more people to be doing stuff like that. That's why I think Palmer lucky doing what he's doing. It's like, okay, like this is actually moving shit forward. It's like blowing up the military industrial complex. But to your point, Solana, they're all tech people. And so it's like, that, I think that's why they're hated too, is because like people want other people to be doing that. And the reality is most of the, the pushing civilization forward is happening with a very small group of people. Dan, can we repeat my favorite tweet
1: about uh, the Elon Satellite Network?
3: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm a big Starlink fan. So uh, I think I'm someone was... Fan. I've got one right here. have got one right here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, I, it's like... It's so a to the startup.
1: Everything yeah. goes to hell in San Francisco. We're relying on Elon.
3: <laughs> under underrated, underpriced, like it just it's just like normalized to a crazy degree what what they were able to do with this thing. But the the tweet was some some walk was like, oh, what if the Taliban doesn't want to approve the communication spectrum for Starlink in their country? And then Elon responded, this is like pre him owning Twitter. This is kind of when his Twitter was like I think it was at its peak. He's just like they can just. And shake their fists at the sky. That's just so fucking like what? What a level of power, right? Like, I mean, basically, China can't do anything, right? Like, he can beam internet into any country, and just like freedom can just like wash over everyone as long as there's a user terminal. I mean I, I mean, think yeah. it's
1: like, let, let, let's be frank, Dan. It's gonna be fucking TikTok cat videos and porn, but whatever. That's the
3: <laughs> whatever. That's American soft <laughs> power, man. American, right it's, now. it's literally just like every it's like pervasive. It's just like we're just gonna beam Reddit onto your country and like you know, <laughs> just get the full, the full uh you know, the, the power of the American uh you know, cultural export. And mm-hmm. it's like Reddit or ChatGPT. PPT. And it's just like, you know, Amazon is like supposedly going to launch their first satellites in 2024 for their satellite services. It's like, bro, what satellites are you, sh- what like rocket are you shipping that up on? Like the, the only ticket to, to space now is basically China or Elon. I don't know. I, I, I love the fact that like TikTok, you know, any
1: of you guys read War of the Worlds when the Martians come and invade? And it turns out humans win because they have no immunity to bacteria. And so like oh, right. the yeah. yeah. yeah, And so like all these autocracies just have no natural immunity to fucking TikTok. video, <laughs> Or well, or I mean, they do in China because they can censor it. But like just full blown, full frontal Internet would just blow smoke any of this away. That, that was my dream for Cuba, that they would actually inject Internet into Cuba.
3: We're, we're less than five years away from this. So this is like yeah. this is technically possible. So what's going to happen is there are going to be enough Starlink satellites and they'll probably add some hardware to it because it's not technically that hard because not that far up in space. Like this is low earth orbit. You're talking. Like, it, it's actually, I mean, uh, you know, so what's going to happen is they're just going to turn on cell internet connections. And then the, the smartphones out there, are, like Apple's most recent uh, iPhone has the SOS ability and they have like some bullshit like constellation that they're doing because they didn't want to work with Elon. But you're going to be able to be outside anywhere in the world and your smartphone can just get an internet connection. And like just directly to space, like these, the, all these countries have no idea what's going to hit them. And then, so they're going to have to like, be like trying to track down individual cell phones. You don't even need the user terminal. It, it It's going to be just like mind blowing. What, what starts to happen with this. And like, instead, like people are like trying to like, be like, Oh, mean tweets or like, he, he's voting a Republican. Like, I don't like Elon Musk. Oh, it's, like, so <laughs>
2: it's just like,
3: whatever. There's a Zihan thing here <laughs> that, We've already canceled I, I Like, you know, new, new best friend. I, I, I'm off Zihan anymore. What, what was the thing that he did that pissed you off? Oh, his, 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 his crypto take was so bad that I had to just like reevaluate that like basically everything else that he, he has opinions on probably wrong. But, yeah. That's a little extreme. I actually still think there's some value there, but like I, I'm, I've sworn him off. I think he's just a TikTok. He's, he's a YouTube influencer now.
2: <laughs> Dan ate his hero. Oh, yeah. I just do love a guy who gives me a new framework for thinking about the world. it's It's like an internally consistent weird other thing. That's very far afield of what the way that we usually talk about the world, which is, can be helpful and kind of freeing. I just wonder, I mean, back when social media started popping off, you had this string of revolutions, right? And they were celebrated stupidly because fast forward a few years and it's like, we're looking at dictatorships and things like this military, uh, Uh, military control of different countries. Like, I wonder if there's something about... America is resource rich. Like, we're able to make a lot of mistakes. Like, we kind of constantly keep making mistakes and never suffer the consequences of them. I think maybe in part because we have so much. But a place like China, where it's much harder to live there, maybe there's something about a stronger government that is just what they need. And the instability that would come from something like, what you're talking about now, no speech controls, whatever. I mean, suddenly, like, we can handle sort of all of this just because we have so much room to, to fail, but they kind of really can't. And so, I don't know. It's just, I'm just spitballing here. But it's, I don't know that there, I just am sort of on my, there are always unintended consequences. I'm in my only, I'm in my unintended consequences era. And social media really proved this to me because I thought it was benign and it's not at all. Um, and so, I'm just always kind of wondering what, what happens? It's not always good. It, one of the most popular podcasts in tech, now that I
0: look at these lists all the time, is uh, is Tech Won't Save Us. And it's basically like an anti-tech podcast. <laughs> Who, uh,
3: who's, whose podcast is that?
0: Uh, some like journalist or media person i don't even know but there's a very like strong and solana's probably dealt with this firsthand that last few years blocked thousands of accounts but there there is like a big contingent of people of leftists who just like hate tech not only hate tech but think it's like the source of why we don't have great healthcare or education or or etc and oh my god
1: i just looked up one of the one of the hosts is called paris marx Oh <laughs> my God. I I'm telling you, dude. Just, I'm telling you, Tom Wolf, when Tom Wolf died, God put him in charge of the script. The, the, <sighs> the leading anti tech podcast, the name is Paris Marx. Holy fuck. <laughs> I mean, the,
3: the Italians ban chat GPT. It's just like, like people are just going to blame all their problems with technology. I, I make it the pizza. I ban the
1: AI. <laughs> That's what the Italians do. Which, by the way, I think is great. I think Europe should be like the before time. It's a museum to before the internet hit. I think they should ban all of it so that it's waiting for me like Amelie style when I get back there. Um, but I might be the only one in this group that thinks Europe is the place to flee
3: to. Well, so, so this is the other one. I, uh, this is just like stolen from Twitter. So, But, but basically it's like, you have the the tech people, or the anti-tech people are like, tech is ruining the world, like, or or even even um no sorry the the frame is tech hasn't done anything interesting. It's like Uber for dogs, like it's just all derivative VC BS. And now the, the same people are like, we should pause AI, right? So it's like okay, so so is it is it the world destroying technology that that you claim it when it's convenient, or is it the you know worthless it, it just basically people exploiting other people, um, yeah. you and know. If you, were to, ask. if you were to ask
0: them what the U.S. like gets for its you know five trillion or six trillion whatever you know government budget and how is that money spent and how effective is it, you know they they don't um,
2: they have no idea. I think one of the more interesting things about the AI stuff is that I I don't think the media is actually as hard on AI as people like I mean Eliza is. That's a lot. I mean, he's bringing the most to the table. The other people are like, this seems scary. And yeah, we hate tech, so we want to ban it. But Eliza's like, we're going to die. All of us are going to die. And he's not the only one, right? The whole Bay Area rationalist community is like this. And if you're not a part of the Bay Area rationalist community, you probably want to be seen by them as intelligent. I think that hating AI, or not hating, that's the wrong word, I'm sorry, being afraid of AI, is seen as a an intelligence signal now, especially in the tech industry. It's a way to easily sort of say, "Hey, I'm like a real genius who understands all the scary things about, you know, whatever X risk and whatnot." I think there's something to it, but it's like I think we all have this. Conver- it's like there's a nuanced conversation to be had here. It's not as exciting. As we're all going to die, but it's. I don't think I don't believe any of these people, and they are the worst at the FUD. They're way worse than the media, I would say. It's climate change for people who don't go outside.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a book of, it's a book of revelation for nerds is what it is. It's all yeah, it is. It's if, if I need
0: uh, Taylor Lorenz to segue into TikTok, um, Mike, I want you to uh, explain uh, why you find Ayla a savant and we'll uh, segue into uh, AI safety. Doomers.
2: I Ayla so Taylor it's like a lot of tongue-in-cheek love I mean obviously that's a crazy person who's really mean and evil and not evil no one's evil I don't maybe some people are evil Ayla, Taylor's not evil she's she's crazy and she's been mean to people who I care about and I'm like I don't fuck with that um I think Ayla is interesting and I like Ayla I think Ayla is um free I think that she doesn't care about convention and she's gonna follow her mind she's gonna follow her her, she's gonna follow her own internal compass i think she's had an interesting background obviously she's reacting to a lot of crazy religious stuff and so paints with a broad brush i think she has biases that she's not dealt with i think that she's wrong about stuff like she came after me for the ai stuff the other day a lot of people i like came after me for the ai stuff because i'm a little bit skeptical of their intelligence signal whatever like she's a she's cool jesus liked prostitutes too so i'm in good company
0: (laughs) Yeah, there was an old saying like prostitutes are the only ones who could speak the truth or something. And and for a...
2: she also Ayla, to her credit, was based before. I know that's what I'm saying. Anyone, she spoke she up. Was, she was out there. She moved the Overton it. window. And so I think that is one of the things. Like I remember those people, and when I felt scared to say something, the people who inspired me to just grow up here and and say what what was true, like she was one of them. She just was one of them. And she that she took the most, most- shit
0: for her stuff, like on, 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 on some of these like biggest culture war issues, like in the last few years, like she took her science banister. I remember like there were some ones that were just like so tragic uh, or yeah. Anyways, cheers to her. Should we, should we segue into AI safety stuff? It is interesting. Cause there's also this group on the other side, the EAC, I mean, the accelerationist group, like there are groups of smart people who are fighting on, on like on this issue. Um, how, how do you make sense of like the cultural landscape of like the, Accelerate versus Doomer? Like, where is that going to play out?
2: I think that I'm upset with the people on the other side right now. Like, so more than I'm upset with the Elizers of the world, I'm upset with the people who are building this stuff and love this stuff and think it's important because they're not defending it in a way that is compelling. They're not explaining what they're working on. They're not talking, they're not painting a sort of compelling picture of the world with AI for anybody. The people who've done that the best are in Hollywood, despite all of the apocalypse stuff. It's Spike Jones is her, I feel like is the only thing that has come even close to showing us something that we can all wrap our hands around, which is why we always reference it because it's the only one that does that. And presumably that's the kind of thing that should be coming from, from the very people who are working on it. I've not seen one of them. Not one of them has gotten me excited. And I've talked to all these people, in person. Like, they just are not compelling on this issue. And so what are we, what are, what is the average, we're all steeped in this stuff. Like, what is the average person supposed to think about AI? You have on the one hand, people who are like, it's going to be great. And then you have the other people who are like, here's how it could kill us in the following, you know, 10 different ways. And they're really thorough. And then you have the New York Times saying it's, it's like, you know, it's racist or whatever. And and so there's just nothing competing with that. Um, And it
1: is frustrating to me. I was going to go into a whole tear, so go ahead, Dan, because I this this whole topic pisses me off, and Eric's probably going to edit it out anyhow because it gets us in trouble. But I can I, I, just, I never
0: edit
3: anything out that gets you into trouble.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ!
3: I, yeah. I I think like it's it's clearly just going to be this massive deflationary thing, and like where there's going to be a massive productivity boost. I think it's actually going to be like the saving grace for the U.S. economy over the next few years. And outside of like energy abundance, it, it it's going to be the biggest impact to just like how the world works over the next decade or so and i don't know like i, I think people are like way over rotating on its ability to play thermonuclear warfare or whatever trick people into maximizing paper clips and, and all this like you know i think it's masturbation
1: yeah i i Yeah, I think the AI doomers are crazy. And it literally is the book of revelation for nerds. And literally, like, among the very consumer choices Americans have, like, whatever end of the world scenario, whether it's climate change, COVID, AI, or population collapse, you kind of pick your own your little tribe. I'm personally a population collapse doomer myself. But the AI people are, of course, crazy. Um, I mean, I, I You mentioned somebody sketching out how this is gonna work. Dude, how the fuck is the AI gonna kill me? My fucking AirPods don't even reliably stay connected to this machine instead of my phone. Like call me when that actually gets solved and then I'll believe it. These people are living in this virtualized world in which they think like blogging and Twitter is real and that if like your Twitter account goes down you physically die or some shit. We used to joke that way at Facebook because we were such like online degens, but give me a break. I mean, go out and like try to fix a car engine or try to build something in like real space. You know, the, the murder bots aren't coming. Right. And more broadly, the rationalist movement, which strikes me, it's not rational at all. It's actually completely irrational. If anything it's religious thinking that tends to dominate them. Not only that, Tyler Cohen ganged up on Scholar Alexander, basically thrashed Tyler Cohen. Tyler Cohen is not an A.I. doomer. He's more of a A.I. You know, it could be positive. Let's see where things go before we even jump in with regulation, which I think is very reasonable and is mostly my view. Scott Alexander jumps in to begin with. He starts quoting, you know, the entire blogosphere of rationalism, which is all these little coded words and experiments that's been running since forever. It sounds like, you know, on Berkeley, there used to be these weird little hippies that would pass out these little pamphlets from whatever dumb little cult they're in. And that's what these things read like. Oh, you didn't you didn't you didn't read the Rocco's basilisk mugger experiment? Oh well, my God, you fool. It's like Give me a fucking break, dude. And then he's got like Bayes Law at the bottom of his thing. No, this is truth. Everything else is commentary. Oh yeah, motherfucker. Give me the Bayes Law take on Israel-Palestine. Give me the Bayes Law take on what it means to be a good father. Give me the Bayes Law take on like, what is truth and meaning in life? It is such a narrow, limited little worldview. And they're sitting there cooking up Terminator scenarios because none of them would even know how to change the oil filter on a car. It's like, I don't know. It just The whole thing is just totally dumb to me. And like, it's hard for me to take it seriously. Uh, My company actually ran an AI spoof over April Fools because I just find it so dumb. And I have to be restrained from saying some things in that, obviously. But um, yeah, I just, I just, I, sorry, you're gonna have to edit some of this, Eric, but I, wait, wait, wait,
3: Antonio, what is the best tweet that we should reference here? Um, In what, in in what context? Tyler, the creators. Oh, um,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a group with Tyler and I guess, um, Tyler has his marginal revolution blog email thing. No, 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 no.
3: Tyler, the creator, the rapper. It's just like, haha, this is not even real. Just, just turn the computer off. Oh, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there's a there's a spicy word in that tweet. But yeah, um,
3: yeah. Oh. But yeah it's like, how, how, <laughs> how is the AGI
1: apocalypse real, bro? Just like close your eyes, man. Like, just turn off the device, right? Like unplug the machine. That's it. AGI apocalypse over.
2: <laughs> yeah. I did ask one of the, the rationalists, this, after Eliza wrote his piece where he was like, we should be firebombing data centers. <laughs> um, I <laughs> thought this seems slightly off to me um, a bit much. And I criticized it. One of the rationalists came after me and said, you know, no, the scariest thing in the world of the AI utopian people. And I'm just like, Hey, can you provide me some detailed explanations now of how this stuff's going to kill us all? Because it seems like now is the time for that. And I I feel like they have given us, I said earlier, and I do believe they've given us broad, they have given us broad. It's been like, um, there's, you have the AI is going to manipulate people to do a bunch of stuff for it. You have like, it's going to just shut down the information system. And if that happens, maybe that is, you know, an apocalypse. You have the nuclear code stuff, though. I don't actually think that that's, I don't know, probably anything's possible. I mean, the Russians, the dead hand thing seems pretty bad. Like, I, I'm willing to believe that the nuclear situation is worse than we all realize. And so it probably wouldn't take much to trigger something there. But um, but the, like generally speaking, the average rationalist isn't giving you a lot on the sort of how we're all gonna die front. And I think that you should have to do that before you advise killing people.
1: Right, I mean, that's, and then the numbers they are tossing out. I mean, again, that's why this rational thing seems like such sort of a joke to me or Bayes Law. It's like, look, I'll tell you, you know what the base conditional probability and us creating killer AI every time we create AI? Zero percent. It's never happened. And in fact, we've been hearing about it. Minsky's been worrying about this for 50 fucking years since I've been alive and it's never happened. Right. It's just like. It, yeah. But
2: what's that turkey analogy, that like the turkey's life just gets better and better and better until it falls off the cliff.
3: Right, but this is a non-falsifiable argument. You can literally make it forever. It's like you've predicted X number of the killer AIs over the last ten years. It's like it's the, that's the joke.
1: But to, but to, but to, to but to continue your analogy, they've claimed it's Thanksgiving every day for fifty years, and the turkey's <laughs> still here. That's the difference, right?
2: Okay. But here's the the real. So you are creating potentially an intelligence that is able to make itself more intelligent, and so at the at the base, like what we're looking at is something that is just fundamentally unknowable. And that is very scary. I don't believe that. You're
1: you're imbuing it with human-like agency when you say that, Solana. Look, instead of AI, I propose we use sparse matrix math every time we refer to this thing and see if our thoughts still run in the same directions. Because I suspect they won't, right? I suspect if we talk about a lot of like high dimensional matrix, you know, algebra going on, we would not come to the same conclusions. We would not be imbuing it with agency. We would not be assigning murderous motives to a matrix in the way that we do to some automaton, right? That That's my So
3: what happens when we just take the power source out of the data center? Yeah, exactly. Does it like, did it did it invent like some wireless magic no. electricity source that matrix. it what happened
2: was they nuked this guy to take away the power source and then it turned us into the power source, if you
3: recall. <laughs>
0: At, at the very least, Antonio, like the ability that this would give to um, to terrorists or what, like you, you know, even if it's not kind of um, you know human imbued is just human and AI. The the impact,
3: you know, could, the damage could be massive. Now, so so does ISIS or Taliban have like a huge cache of GPUs that we should be considering bombing? Like, I mean, like come on, like that that that's not like, the companies that have the resources to do this. The reason OpenAI has to work with Microsoft is it's like there are only so many, like chips in the world and, and people who actually have them hooked up. It's not like we just have this latent GPU just like sitting around.
1: Speaking of Microsoft, by the way, let me tell you how this ends. It's not going to be any of this Terminator shit. I downloaded whatever Microsoft's clunky little search app is to use like their version of ChatGPT. I asked it if it can run ads. It said yes. This is how this ends. It's going to end with like another version of Google AdWords serving you even better ads on shit that you entered into the bot. That That's how this is going to end. With higher CPMs, which I love by the way, high CPMs are a gift from God. But
3: yeah, the paperclip maximizer it's the ad, the ad, yeah, exactly. A copy <laughs> maximizer. It just creates an infinite amount of content so they could put more ads against it. Yes, I love it. There's this comic book,
2: Transmetropolitan, and uh, there's a they run ads in your dreams. If you get struck by the whatever psycho bomb it is, um, you go to sleep and you're dreaming of Coca Cola and things like this. And that does seem to be the arc, unfortunately,
1: of our world it's just, it is more and more ad heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, did you see my joke over the weekend that my solution to AI safety was forcing it to use crypto? That that's the way you actually limit the bot? I don't know if you saw my joke. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm pumping my own bag here. because it's my own site but obviously April 1st gag, but we joked that we're pivoting to AI because the only way to keep AI from wiping out humanity is forcing it to use non-custodial wallets. <laughs> That's the only way to contain the bot. It,
3: it, it doesn't, it can't install MetaMask. With that? Yeah, it can't install MetaMask.
1: It <laughs> can't install, exactly. Even super intelligence won't be able to figure out how to actually... <laughs> <laughs> that's a I, you, yeah. you, you know
3: what is actually interesting is is Sam Altman is the, technically a co-founder of this other company, worldcoin Have you have you seen? Have oh you yeah. Seen this? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think this is going to be a meme itself, like of like people freaking out, and it's like they they're getting seventy five thousand people a day in developing countries to scan their orb, like you know this this i have kind of uh, or I, wait actually I think that's actually called the Palantir, right? Isn't isn't the name Palantir from Lord of the Rings? And oh yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. It is. The it orb, is.
2: it's the thing that Saruman holds, and then we have a version that's uh,
3: yeah, yeah. So, so basically, it. they they built a Palantir that they're going around scanning people's eye, eyeballs as a proof of humanity. Uh, you know, in the, in the coming AI blow up all the captchas and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing that I haven't been able to figure out about it. So whether or not it's a good idea, whatever. What's to stop the AI from just hacking a bunch of people's like. Private keys for those worldcoin things, and then just having a botnet of like people's eyes, but but basically they control it. No one's been able to give me a good answer. That they're like, oh, it's it's secure on the phone. I have one to wrap on because Solana. I think you can you can give us something good. So you made that that bomb video for whatever Founders Fun event.
2: Was it like all the different cool clips from history? Yeah, the LP. Thing. Yeah, just like it was like, like optimistic about. Tech. Yeah, my colleague Mike Pesciano designed that. He's yeah. Really
3: yeah. So so you were you were kind of working on that. What what gets you excited? Like if, if you just like get out of the day to day of like all the you know doomerism on Twitter or you know dumb fights and it's like what what is the thing that is inspiring you day to day to build pirate wires and, and and kind of everything going forward?
2: Man, I mean the truth... like I get excited by I I'm like I find this stuff fun. I like the fight. I for years I because working with Peter Peter is obsessed with mimetic theories. I think one of the foremost Girardian thinkers probably ever and certainly ever. And um, and being sort of coming up under him is very like, you know, competition is really bad, not only like for your business, but for you personally, you become the things that you fight and this and that. And it was always like, you shouldn't be fighting with people um, unless you absolutely have to. And I always wanted to fight. Like, I always wanted to get in there and just fight for the things that I cared about. Um, and so the truth is like, once I did my life, got a lot better. I felt like I was swimming with the current finally. And, um, and the things that I care about, I care about my family. I care about my country. Um, and, I care about my friends and that's kind of, those are the things that I'm excited about. And my, I get excited about the idea of a, this sounds really deeply cheesy, but I, I get excited about like a better world for them. Like I think about when every I'm getting in, whenever I'm getting into some stupid shit online, um, if it's about a value or, or something in politics or tech or, or abundance or whatnot, I'm thinking about my sister and her kids. And like, that's who I do it for. And I, I have this like vision in my mind of a better world, a post abundant world. Like we talked about energy before we talk about technology, you know, perfect education and uh, crime is not happening. Like that kind of stuff. If you could get, if all of that could be just taken care of and the world could be a better place, like what would the, what would people get up to? Maybe nothing. They just hang out. My dad just wants to sit on a dock and smoke cigars with his friends at the public boat slips. Like that's his idea of a good time. That's
1: awesome. Um, I'm happy for him. He's a working class sailor, right, Mike? He's a working man who (laughs) sails, just to be clear. He 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 does own a sailboat, correct? (laughs) He
2: does own a sailboat on a public dock. Does he ski, Those by chance? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> he does, does
1: he go skiing? Ski? He does not go skiing. Oh, amazing. He has that. gone skier. He has, he has skier skier, in his life,
3: but he's not a skier. Solano, what you were describing, though, really just sounds like what Antonio described Spain to be like. like <laughs> kind of just like people hanging around, like energy abundance, like no one needs to work. Yes. <laughs> you know, healthcare is good.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, Make America Europe again. <laughs> uh, you just want us to be fucking amazing. I just want us to be fucking amazing honestly and that gets me excited
0: yeah that's a good note to to wrap on uh Mike thanks so much for coming on moment of zen
2: thank you for having me guys
0: moment of zen is brought to you by Riverside the platform Dan Antonio and I use to record all of our podcast episodes with remote guests Riverside captures exceptional audio and video quality makes it incredibly easy for us to record conversations with multiple guests and then edit and publish within minutes If you're hosting a podcast or often getting interviewed, use our code ZEN to get a 20% discount at Riverside FM. The link is in our description box. Secureframe is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. Secureframe helps you get SOC2 audit ready in weeks, not months, and it's used by thousands of companies like AngelList, Coda, and Remote. I believe in the company so much, I invested in it, and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo at secureframe.com and mention Moment of Zen during your demo to get 20% off your first year of SecureFrame. Hey, it's Eric. There's no shortage of tech and business podcasts, but few actually give you a true and regular dose of the future. The A16Z podcast is the exception. It's a lighthouse for founders, breaking down the most important trends in technology and business. Struggling to keep up with the pace of change in AI? They just spoke to top builders from OpenAI, Anthropic, Roblox, and more wondering what on earth is happening up in space. They just dropped a series on the satellite economy or questioning whether recent salary transparency legislation will cause clarity or chaos. They just broke down how companies can not only survive, but thrive in this new environment. Host Steph Smith sits down with some of the world's most influential people, movers who have a track record of being both early and right, like Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Nobel Prize-winning astrophysicist John Mather, and A16Z co-founders Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. So go ahead, eavesdrop on the future by following the A16Z podcast on your favorite podcast app and tell them I sent you.